Hey, folks, welcome into the 615 Preps Podcast. We're back after a couple of weeks hiatus alongside Scott Burton. I'm Chris Brooks, and uh, Scott, glad to have you back, bud. How are you? I'm doing well, Chris. I am uh, better than I deserve. Um, uh, you know, I've uh, kicked the COVID to the curb, just uh, trying to recuperate and uh, feeling stronger every day. Well, good, so good, good to know. Definitely glad to be back. Definitely glad to be uh, uh, discussing football after I uh, uh, after I'd been kind of sidelined for a little bit. After you couldn't discuss very much at all, honestly. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was definitely in a. Uh, you know, they they talk about COVID brain, and it's a real thing. Mm. Let me tell you, um, it really. Uh, but it, I mean, it really did a number on me. Um, I won't go into too much. If you uh, uh, folks can read about it on our on our uh, website, exactly uh, right? I, I definitely want to thank you for helping uh, uh, me get my thoughts in some kind of coherent order. I promise that is the truth as best I can recall. <laughs> tell it. I mean, <laughs> I don't know why you'd have any reason to lie about it. So, <laughs> no, no, there, there's no, there's no lying. It was just a matter of. Uh, uh, I, I will, you know, there were some definite periods of delirium in there. Somewhere. Yeah, for sure. Now, for those who may not have known that the last couple of episodes, Scott either wasn't here or was remote, and he's remote again for now. Um, he did not cover Blue Cross Bowl with me, unfortunately, because of his bout with COVID. But like he said, go on to our website at 615preps.com and read about his ordeal in, in more detail, actually. He went through a lot of a lot of detail to put that together and, and uh, you know, sharing your story, obviously important for those who, who may not know about it or, or may know somebody who needs to see it. So I thought it was very important to, to share that message since you were more than willing to do so. And uh, obviously thank you for sharing that. Well, absolutely. And, and quite frankly, I owe uh, a very large debt to the people in the, uh, at Sumner Regional Medical Center who took care of me, yep. uh, who helped get me back to health. And uh, part of what they requested is that, uh, that you know, somebody tell their story. Yep. And I was more than happy to do so. Yep. So, um, again, just uh, ecstatic, thrilled to, uh, to be back, thrilled to be talking football, uh, thrilled to be talking anything, tell you the truth. Yeah. And, <laughs> and, uh, and, and ready to go. Yeah, yeah. This, this is our season finale wrap up show. We'll talk Blue Cross Bowl championship games, Mister Football awards. We've got two more Player of the Week honors to give out to wrap the season up. Then we'll do a little bit of signing day stuff, and then we'll we'll close it out with you know just some thoughts about the 2020 season in general, how wacky it's been, and all that. But we'll get to that later on. I want to go ahead and, and get to the Blue Cross Bowl stuff because I mean you missed it, but you were able to watch a little bit of it here and there. Uh, what was the biggest thing that stood out to you from those four championship games involving area teams? Well, uh, truthfully, the biggest thing that stood out to me was, uh, you know, in a lot of respects was the margins of victory um, and, and how, uh, and, and how uh, some games were a lot closer than the final score appeared. Yeah. Um, truthfully, uh, and I know we'll get into individual games, but um, – you know, I, I had to go back and, and really look at it, uh, especially the early games when I was uh, when I was really out. But uh, if you look at that Lipscomb game of how close that was, considering what they had gone through earlier in the year, yeah, 
Uh, what really shocked me in that was how well CPA's defense shut down that Lipscomb running game. Yeah, yeah. I mean, you, you mentioned that uh, Lipscomb only ran for 53 yards in that game com- uh, compared to CPA's 424 on the ground. And, of course, CPA, that, CPA ran the ball 72 times. So, mm. you know. Yeah, well, really this, one of the things that really stood out to me, Chris, was time of possession. Yeah. Uh, CPA, you know, held the ball for 38, over 38 minutes. Lipscomb, less than 10. Yeah, and you don't see that in the high school game at all. I mean, even even at higher levels, time of possession in a 60-minute game, a bad time of possession is, you know, 20 to 22, 23 minutes. I mean, you compare it, you scale it down to a 48-minute high school game, a bad time of possession, you're, you're holding the ball – you know, on 16 to 18 minutes, Blitzman Academy didn't even scratch 10. Yeah, that was the thing that really, really jumped out to me is how well that CPA uh, defense made Lipscomb one-dimensional and still Lipscomb still put pressure on him and it made it a one-score game. Lipscomb Academy uh, had nine possessions. I'm going to point this out real quick. They had nine possessions in the game. They did not hold the ball for any more than a minute 47 at any point. That is unbelievable. And on that possession, they punted. <laughs> That's that is unbelievable. How well CPA controlled and it, it was just a that patient offense. You know Patterson. You know uh, with 191 yards rushing, 34 carries. K Law 168 you know? on the ground and 25 attempts. I mean, they, yeah, yeah. I mean they. Yeah, you know, they dominated the running game and the clock, but you know you got to give the Lipscomb Academy that they found a way to put points on the board. Yeah, the, and it really their, came their down tempo, to what, their tempo in the second half. I mean, they kind of caught CPA a little bit unaware right there, and they had three straight possessions: minute sixteen seconds, thirty-two seconds, a minute eleven. But they all were touchdowns in the third and fourth quarter. And this game was tied with nine minutes to go because he, because Lipscomb Academy simply was able to to up the pace and, and kind of move CPA around a little bit. Yeah, and and you know two minutes left and CPA gets that you know it, it came down really almost to the last team to have the ball. It, yeah, yeah, it really did. I mean, you know, Lipscomb Academy they throw an interception there on their last possession and CPA just runs a clock out and and then that just. Yeah, going back to the time possession for just a second. Okay, the ten mm-hmm. the ten drives or nine drives for CPA. You know, all of them at least two minutes of length. Five oh six, two twenty one, two oh six, four forty one, three fifty eight, five thirty two, five twenty one, seven fourteen, two sixteen. Yeah, on those nine possessions. Yeah, it's, it's incredible. Even when they went three and out in the first quarter, they still held it for two minutes and 21 seconds. Right. Which was, I mean, yeah, Dingle Martin's kids, they had they had the game plan, and they worked it to near perfection, and, and you got to hats out and hats off to them to for, for getting that yeah. done. Yeah, it, it's, it was just, uh, it was a great, great game between two, you know, heavyweight, you know, schools in, in our, in our area. And, uh, you know, it was really, really good to see 
what a great way to start off the Blue Cross Bowl uh, you know, weekend Yeah, I mean, with a game like that. And I thought it was going to be the probably the best of the weekend. Now, the Fayetteville-South Pittsburgh won a game, probably rivaled it as far as you know the finish that it had. Might have been better, but just the yeah. overall game itself, I mean, this one was right up there with him as well. And uh, then the rest of them were, you know, pretty one-sided. Yeah, that was that was the other thing that got me. It was, uh, you know, you talk about that, uh, you know, University School of Jackson Davidson Academy game. Yeah, and you want to talk about a tale of two halves now? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I, I was. It was one of those games, and and again, uh, not to keep referencing the story, but this is a game I kind of saw in two halves. Uh, one was. Uh, in one particular room, the other one's actually in my in my room where I got to actually see the second half. Right. Uh, I was shocked at how quickly that USJ came out and established themselves, took that twenty-one to six lead you know, early in the second second quarter. Yep. After what Davidson Academy had done defensively all year. Right. It it was yeah. All of a sudden, I I was. I was already confused. I was a little more confused. Um, but then Davidson Academy writes the ship and, you know, gets that score, that uh, 28-yard uh, touchdown pass from Vita to to uh, Juju Orr with six seconds left, and all of a sudden they're back in the game, you know, just two down. And at that, at that point, I'm, I'm thinking to myself, okay, this game is turned. It's all Davidson Academy from here. And I think they tweeted something out that, like, the last three games they had played USJ, they had trailed to the half, and they had won all three games. So it was not like they hadn't been there before. You know, they were in a position to to do some damage once they finally got rolling. And, you know, Davidson Academy, it just took them a few possessions to get rolling offensively. They had three, I think, three three-and-outs to start mm-hmm. the game. Yep. And then, and of course, they had, they had 16 possessions as opposed to nine in, uh, for CPA and Lipscomb Academy. <laughs> It was yeah. kind of how the way that game went, and like neither team had the ball for more than three and a half minutes in the in the in the single leg game. I think the longest the longest possession was three forty nine for Davidson Academy on their next to last series of the fourth quarter. Right, right. It and, and you know, really to tell you the truth, when when the USJ jumped out at first, and and then uh, they. Uh, Davidson Academy comes storming back. I knew that we were going to see. You could see Griffin Sweeney was was frustrated early in the game. Uh, that you know when they were coming out and uh, and stopping him, you knew Griffin Sweeney and that offense was going to take charge in that second half. And boy, it didn't take long into the third quarter for them to get that going. And the crazy yep. thing about that about Sweeney's performance, he finished with 284 in the ground. He had 285 in the championship game last year. Is it didn't feel like he was going to be anywhere near 284 during the game. It, it, didn't, it didn't feel like it at all. But lo and behold, they were sitting there in the fourth quarter, and he's sitting at 284 yards. And I'm like, wow, how did he get there? It, yeah, it was amazing. It just all of a sudden started rolling up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And you know, and and once, and that was the thing is, you know, having a quarterback like Jared Vitato uh, back there, you know, fourteen and nineteen for one hundred eighty-two yards, opened up so much of that running game mm-hmm. for him that it really, really, I think, is what got them going. I think uh, 
when you talk about the way USJ got out to that lead, remember that Vitato was sacked five times in the game, and they had a lot of pressure on him early on. That kind of mm-hmm. helped lead to some of those offensive troubles in the first quarter, which really led to USJ getting to that lead. But, you know, when you go on a 47-8 to run after you're trailing 21-6, it kind of turns things around. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It was, um, so, you know, uh, Jonathan Quinn gets gets his uh, third goal ball Yep. Uh, for Davidson Academy. They get it going away. Uh, yeah, it was uh, – it, it was a dominating uh, second-half performance for Davidson Academy. It's really kind of a going-away present to the rest of that class that they're going to double-A next year and, and departing Division II single-A after, after three-peating as state champions. So I think they're all yeah. ready. Most of the other teams are ready to see them go away. It, it kind of reminds me, though, of Rorschach in The Watchmen. You know, you begin to wonder, am I locked in here with you? Or are you locked in here with me? Hmm. You know? <laughs> What's Davidson Academy going to be like at that next level? Are are they going to be able? Are they going to you know be able to do some of the same things they're doing, or are they going to kind of get muddied up and bloodied a little bit on within a little bit bigger? Uh, that's a little bit bigger region. That's going to be an interesting thing. That's one of the biggest questions I have going into next year, and one of the things I'm most curious about seeing is with they play CPA and Lipscomb Academy and Good Pasture how that's going to be. I mean, Davidson Academy and Good Pasture are just separated by, by literally like two miles. Yes. That, that's a that's a really good potential rivalry right there with them basically on the same road. Mm-hmm. So. You're right. Ed. They're right in each other's backyard. So that, that's going to be a good one when they get together next year. Yeah, we talked, uh, you know, we talked about the, the, the new classifications. That's going to be, uh, that's going to be an interesting thing to do, just to look at real quick. Yep, for sure. Uh, five A Summit. You no, know, they got their they got their revenge of sorts. Uh, this game really that that championship game against Oak Ridge. It never really felt like Oak Ridge was in it. No, it never really did. No, I think that I think that Summit uh, and, and Coach Coleman uh, them getting to the, uh, the to the championship game last year and coming up short uh, really gave them a roadmap this year of what it was going to take to win. And they jumped out in front and just really never looked back. Yeah, their their first series was really kind of what set the tone. I mean, they, they go out 14 nothing after after two straight touchdown drives to open the game, and then really their defense just took over from there. Uh, Oak Ridge had one score in the second quarter, but other than that, you know, they didn't have a possession really that, that did a whole lot of damage. No, no. After that, they were they were able to con- kind of control the ball, uh, control uh, you know everything about it, and then you know they get on the board, and then you know late in the second late in the second half, make it a twenty one seven game, and then after that, it was really just kind of summit, you know, trying to control the clock, and then late Brady Pierce gets that great interception return. To just kind of ice the game. Yeah, and kind of one of the biggest differences in that game too was the number of just chunk plays that Summit had. It seemed like they had one or two on every possession, and just kept mm-hmm. the position in in their favor the entire night. And you know, Destin <laughs> Wade had had a remarkable game. Uh, Keaton Wade on on the defensive side had a brilliant game as well. And I, I think you know having him back healthy was was a big boost for them as well. 
And I think to your point, Brandon King seemed like every drive he had uh, he had a first down run, or or at least a, a, a nice gain that that kept a drive going. Right. And it it you know so it wasn't completely Destin Wade, although he was a large part of it. But it seemed like at certain times somebody would step up yeah. and and get the get the first down or or make the stop. You know, Caleb Jolly making a you know a reception here or there and you know it, it really it really was a dominating performance I think defensively for certain yeah and Brady Pierce I thought honestly should have won MVP honors with his play on both sides of the ball had 113 mm. total yards had a great catch in the first quarter coming back around a defender to, to slide and make a catch had a pick six and yep. had 142 all-purpose yards in the game. Caught a caught a touchdown, caught a touchdown from the other team. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, you you could have argued for him for sure for MVP honors, but Destin Wade winning it was was not surprising either. Both of no, them had no. terrific games. And and you brought up Keaton Wade coming back for this game, uh, who uh, basically led uh, led Summit in tackles. Also had an eight yard sack. Um, yeah, how big was that? Uh, how big was that him coming back for this game had to give the defense a boost. Yeah. Um, he was in there. If he wasn't making tackles, he was disrupting yeah. uh, the offense. Um, you, you talked about Brady Pierce, about how well he played. It was just a dominating defensive performance. It really was. It really you, was. When you tie in uh, how, how well Destin Wade played, the Oak Ridge really didn't stand much of a chance. No. No, it looked like the Oak Ridge was just trying to control things on the ground, and they just were not able to do so. Once they got behind, that was pretty much it. Summit just had everything in control and and gets that first ring. And and now they go to 6A as well, and they're moving up too. But I think Summit's situation going to 6A, I think they're an immediate contender. Really? I think they're an immediate contender in 6A. I mean, they're going to go into a region, yeah, it's going to be tough with Brentwood, Independence, Franklin, and you know, Ravenwood, but I think they're an immediate contender. I mean, I I could put them. I can definitely see them being a a threat to go back to Cookville next year. I think the talent's you know, there. You know, it, it, you know, looking at what you're saying, I see what you, I see exactly what you're saying. Brentwood has a ton of talent to replace. Ravenwood, a ton of talent to replace. Independence having to replace Jackson Campbell. Franklin having a ton of talent to replace. Summit is coming in with two of the top players in the mid-state in their senior year. Yep. You're absolutely right. I did not think of it that way, but you are absolutely right. Summit very well may be in position to win Region 7 next year yeah. with the talent they have. Yep. I mean, that that's going to be a fun region to watch, too, week in and week out almost, because now you've got five playoff teams – in that region from 2020. And poor Centennial is Centennial, going to have a, a rough ride in that region, I'm afraid. But, uh, and, and, and again, you know, and one of those teams is, is going to be left home. Is going to be left home. Yeah. And it's going to be interesting to see, you know, who, you know, who, who that is and who can replace their talent. Mm-hmm. You know, you have a new coach over at Ray. Well, uh, new coach, same as the old coach. Yeah. At Ravenwood. Yeah, Will Hester comes back to Ravenwood. We'll talk about that briefly too later on. Yep. Um, but let's let's jump to six A and, and wrap yeah, this part of it up. Uh, Oakland, fifteen and zero, perfect season. 
Now, we, we mentioned Brentwood. Brentwood had such an emotional run of the postseason. Thought that this might be a close game for a little while, but Oakland said not so fast. Piled up 28 in the first quarter, and they just ran with it. Went, went up winning 56-33. Jordan yeah. James with a great night. Um, what can you say about, you know, their ground game again, the 400, 468 yards in the ground for Oakland. Yeah. It, yeah. Poor Brentwood just, they just ran into a team that is, you know, the tops in, in all of Tennessee. Yeah. Uh, Oakland is just that good head and shoulders above everybody. Uh, Brentwood, you know, Brentwood to their credit put up, you know, 33 points. I mean, yeah. that's, that's pretty tough on, on Oakland. Uh, but, you know, get, you know, James Jordan with 226, like you said, on the ground. Uh, you know, they had 468 yards uh, net rushing, uh, Oakland did, as, and uh, whereas Brentwood had 55. Yeah, Oakland I mean, averaged 10.2 yards per carry. Yeah, it, it, it's, it, it's amazing. Uh, but, you know, Oakland is just – they're Oakland. I mean, they are the, the class of uh, – you know, of the entire state. And, you know, it just, it, it, it really just wasn't much of a, a contest, although Brentwood made it one late. Yeah, they got 15 points in the final four minutes. Now, they had to actually, Davis White had to come in in the fourth quarter with Greg, Craig Granzel getting hurt again. And Davis yeah. White threw a couple touchdown passes to Aaron Walton and Mac Hirschman there to, to, you know, bring the score closer than it was. But, um, uh, now, I want to talk about Antonio Patterson for a second because we, all the talk was about Jordan James. Antonio Patterson might have had the quietest 176 yards ever. Uh, oh, yeah. On 18 carries, he scored twice. He had nearly 10 yards to carry. And everybody's talking about Jordan James because he had six scores. But Patterson was as effective as Jordan James was when he had the ball in his hands. Definitely. I mean, it's... You know, Jordan, you know, as you said, Jordan James, he, he got, uh, you know, the six touchdowns. He had, you know, a lot of the yards. But like you said, Patterson did, you know, he had uh, five less carries, but still managed the same. Uh, they both averaged 9.8 yards per carry. So, yeah, yeah, you're right. Patterson may, you know, he very well could have, you know, had the same, you know, it could have just as easily flopped. Uh, stats. Yeah. It, it, it's so scary to think that most of this Oakland skill set is coming back next year. <laughs> They're coming yes, back for more. Yeah. Coach Creasy has just got, uh, he has built himself a program yeah. there that yeah. is, it, it's a machine, yeah, really, is it what is. it is. It is, and, and <laughs> that 2021 schedule. He said he had trouble finding opponents to fill in. He may have trouble filling that 2021 schedule. He may wind up with only nine games if they're not careful. I mean, well, I'll tell you what. He may have to just reach over and call MTSU. He might. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's not too far away. No, it's uh, in the backyard. Yeah. You know, so, yeah I mean – this is a this is a program that that you know I, I understand people not wanting to play them. Yeah, I mean, you know, who wants to line up for a beating? <laughs> I mean, but Oakland uh, was actually ranked number sixteen in the country by USA Today 
this week. So, yeah, I mean, there are not many teams that are going to be itching for that fight. <laughs> well, and, and and that's the thing with Oakland. They, they're going to have to reach out and maybe have to play some schools that are outside of the state. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, you know, but if, if we've learned anything, especially if, you know, from some of these other schools, schedule hard. Yeah. And play tough and learn about your team and pick up good habits from teams that win. Yeah. And if a five A team will step up and schedule Oakland, even if they get their rear ends handed to them, they will learn something about themselves. Sure. I, sure. I see I, I see no reason why Oakland should why somebody shouldn't reach out and say, you know what, we're gonna step up. Hey Oakland, we'll play you. We'll play you here. We'll play you there. Come to our place and play. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, you're right. I, but you can understand why certain teams don't want that. Uh, yeah. They just don't want to, you know, that, that whooping, I guess. Yeah. Um, but, you know, hey, if you want to, if you want to be the boss, you got to beat the boss. Hey, and kudos to the teams that did step up and play them this year. Like Brentwood and Stewart's Creek, I know, stepped in when there were some openings on Oakland schedule and they, they filled those, those voids in. Know, pretty quickly, and you know, kudos to them for you know just saying, "Hey, let's go play." I mean, and and I guarantee you, to your point, Chris, I guarantee you that Brentwood learned something in that first game. Sure, and sure. and that allowed them to, even though they you know they got beat uh, in the in the championship game, I guarantee you that game got them there somehow, some way. It taught them something about themselves. You may be really right. That's a good point. That's a very good point. But uh, one guy I want to mention for for Brentwood, Aaron Walton, had 164 yards and six catches and three touchdowns. So, mm-hmm. you know, be remiss to not mention his big night, even though it was on the losing end. Um, no, no. But uh, still a good season for Brentwood no matter what. I mean, you know, as much as they had to go through in the postseason for them to get to the championship game, and even if they lost, you know, hey, still a great year. There, there's no shame in the silver ball. There's not. There are, there's there not. are teams out there who would trade their eye teeth for a shot at the title, a shot at the gold ball. And yeah. if you fall up short, it doesn't matter. You have been to the championship game. You have been to the, you have been to the penultimate game. Yeah. Win or lose, you have been to the mountaintop. Yeah. You may have got pushed off, but you've been there. <laughs> yeah. But uh, let's take a break, and then we'll hop back in and, and talk about uh, some Mr. Football stuff, and, and uh, we'll actually do our Player of the Week stuff in the next segment. So. Yep. Let's take a break. This is the 615 Preps Podcast Season Finale Edition, so stay with us. Welcome back to the 615 Preps Podcast Season Wrap-Up Edition. Let's go through our players of the week for the Blue Cross Bowl. We did something a little bit different with this one. Did one for offense and one for defense. So, a couple of awards to give out this time. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, so twice as nice. Twice as nice. Now, the offensive finalists, of course, we've, we mentioned you know, Jordan James had 226 rushing yards and six TDs on 23 carries. Mm-hmm. Aaron Walton, six catches, 164, and three touchdowns for Brentwood. Langston Patterson for CPA, 191 on the ground, three scores. Cade Law, 168 on the ground on 25 carries, was five of six passing for 36 yards and a touchdown, which was the game winner. Lipscomb Academy's Bo Dawson, seven catches for 120 yards. Griffin Sweeney, 284 yards on the ground and four TDs on 26 carries for Davidson Academy. 
and Destin Wade for Summit, 101 yards rushing and two touchdowns on 14 carries, with seven of 10 passing for 135 yards and a touchdown for the Spartans in their win. So yep. more than 3,000 votes by the fans, and we relinquished our votes for this for this week just to just to throw them a bone. So well, it was it was only fair considering the fact that uh, <laughs> my my viewing of uh, some of the games were were sketchy at best. Yeah, and uh, and so I yeah I relinquished relinquished my uh, my vote to the fan vote, and I think you said you did the same. Yeah, I did. I did, and uh, more than 3,000 votes for the Offensive Player of the Week, and it turned out with 47%, Destin Wade gets that honor over Jordan James, who had 40%. It was a two-man race for a long time, but uh, ultimately Destin Wade is going to win Offensive Player of the Week award for the Blue, for the Blue Cross Bowl. Well-deserved, well-deserved. Yeah, now on the defensive side, we had five finalists there. You had Isaiah Horton from Oakland, had two picks and two tackles. Had Tate Taylor from Lipscomb Academy with nine solo tackles and six assisted tackles. Kendall Ball from Davidson Academy, six solo tackles, four assisted tackles, had a pass breakup, and also had a sack for the Bears. Summits Brady Pierce, as we mentioned, had a pick six, had three solo tackles, had six assisted tackles, and then his offensive performance had 132 all-purpose yards. Also punted four times for 31 yards. For thirty-one on yard average, average. So that's defensive. And then Keaton Wade had six solo tackles, two assisted tackles, had a pass breakup and a sack for the Spartans. And that the defensive poll got more votes than the offensive poll, which was kind of interesting to me. Yep. But forty-six percent voted for Brady Pierce for Summit over Isaiah Horton, who had thirty-three percent of the vote. Kendall Ball had eighteen percent. So Summit's going to sweep. The Player of the Week awards presented by Citizens Bank, with Destin Wade getting the offensive honor and Brady Pierce taking the defensive honor. So we're going to get those awards to them at some point, hopefully, very soon. Uh, it's it's like you said, Brady Pierce could have easily been the MVP. Oh, yeah. of that game. So uh, there 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 would be no argument. He would have been uh, my pick there. Anyway, I think that he just had an outstanding, outstanding game. Absolutely. Absolutely. And then well-deserved for those guys. Oh yeah. And talking awards, obviously Mr. Football awards were given out like, a couple of days after the blue cross bowl. And, you know, only two from middle Tennessee came away with Mr. Football honors and Griffin Swinney from Davidson Academy did. And Tegan Linderink from Brentwood Academy, won kicker of the year honors. Wow. So yeah, only that's, only that's, two in the ten in the ten winners. Yeah, that that surprised me a little bit. Uh, of course, Griffin Sweeney uh, definitely deserving. Yeah. Uh, but I thought that uh, there would be at least one more from the mid state. Uh, I thought possibility of Martino Owens uh, mm-hmm. might be uh, might be one that uh, that uh, deserves some you know look, but. You know how do you take it? How do you take anything away from any of these? You know any of these great kids. Yeah, and I know that it's a regular season honor, and I'm kind of afraid that you know some of these players that that missed some games because of COVID cancellations probably ended up on the short end short end of the stick here. And and you no, know, Martino Owens is one of those that I think had he played a full season, 
we might be talking about a different winner. Uh, you're, Destin Wade you know, from Summit is probably in the same boat. I, I, I 100% agree, and I think you may have hit it right on the right on the head. I think that loss of a certain number of games due to COVID probably did skew uh, the vote and a little bit. It's not, really not, not. It's really not supposed to do that. But I mean, how can you? It's human nature to you see those stats over a full season and say, you know, I mean, this guy is doing this, and maybe you have to project for certain players, and it was tough. I, yeah, I mean. Each each voter has their own idea of what constitutes, uh, you know, that uh, uh, Mr. Football. So, you know, I wouldn't I wouldn't complain about it. I, like I said, I was I was surprised, but again, I wouldn't. You know, I, yeah. I couldn't make a case against too much. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I I agree with that sentiment. I mean. In a year like this, you're just happy to have those awards even handed out in the first place. So, um, certainly, yeah. And, and yeah. Destin Wade's gonna get another shot for sure next and, year. And, uh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, I would say that you know he has to be uh, considered one of the uh, uh, you know the early leaders going into the clubhouse, right? Yeah, even in six A. Yeah, absolutely. I would think so. But you know, a lot of these players, uh, there's several of those players that were finalists who ended up signing with. Various colleges in the early signing period. Yep. So now we'll break down a few. We'll just mention a few of these names. We'll go down the list in al- alphabetical order. Jason Amsler from Franklin signed with Stanford. Uh, we're just, just hitting up the FBS schools for the moment. Kendrick Breedlove from Pearl Cone to Ole Miss. Jake Brinkstool from Ravenwood going to Clemson, but it's been known for a while. Uh, mm-hmm. Not a lot of flips either, by the way, just to, from what we've heard. Jackson Campbell from Independence signing with Navy. That was that. That's a great signing for Navy right I think there. so, too. I think so, too. I agree there. Junior Colson from Ravenwood will go into Michigan. Uh, let's see. Michael Diotta from Cane Ridge going to Virginia. Bryce Edmondson from Ensworth headed to Memphis. William Griffin Parker from Pearl Cone headed to Tennessee. Jamarian Gooch from Gallatin going to Tennessee. John House from Brentwood going to Vanderbilt. Adrian Huey from Hillsboro signed with Kentucky. Noah Josie from Brentwood Academy signed with Virginia. Graham Keating from Oakland with UNLV. Walker Merrill from Brentwood signing with Tennessee. Eli Miller from Lipscomb Academy signed a preferred walk-on to go to Iowa. That's impressive. Yeah. Donai Mitchell from Cane Ridge is headed to Georgia. Javon Nelson from Riverdale headed to Memphis. Elijah Oatesfall from Brentwood Academy going to Navy. Alex Okello from Pearl Cone headed to Michigan State. Parker Peterson from Father Ryan going to Tulane. Spencer Rich, a preferred walk-on from Brentwood going to Memphis. Pope John Paul II's Antoine Roberts signed with Wisconsin. James Stewart from Brentwood Academy going to Memphis. Eli Sutton from Brentwood Academy going to North Carolina. D.C. Tapscott from Father Ryan signed with Appalachian State. Yeah, Jacoby or Andre Turntine, excuse me, from Ensworth going to Ohio State, and there were several others that signed at the FCS level, and and still more mm-hmm. to come too because the early signing period was we're we're doing this right in the middle of the early early signing period. There's still more that could be put in ink to paper before National Signing Day, the official National Signing Day in February. And and let me tell you, you know, it's impressive 
to see the amount of talent come out of the mid-state that is going to these FBS schools. Yeah. Um, you know, you got, you know, a couple signing with Virginia, big ACC school, you know, Tennessee signing several. Mm-hmm. You know, the SEC gets its share with Georgia and Kentucky and Bandy all getting players. I mean, there is talent in spades here in the in the mid state. Yeah. There is talent all over the place. And it is incredible to see these kids who, you know, we've been following get to pursue their dreams at the next level. Yeah, it's always always fun to see those kids sign and and kind of wrap up a, a long recruiting period with, you know, a, a decision to, to to go play college football, which is a big deal for those kids around here. And like I said, it's it's great to it's great to see this much talent starting to come up and and really assert itself in the, in the whole process. Yeah, it and, and and like you said, there's more to come. Yeah, uh, we're in the middle of the early signing period, but you know, as the as these uh, shake out, and it's going to be a really kind of strange year uh, for colleges because of so many kids entering transfer portals. Yeah, and and so many you know so much movement and and you know kids being able to hang on to their scholarships. It's going to be interesting to see when this all settles down and all shakes out. Who actually goes where? Are we going to see a lot more preferred walk-ons than we than we've had in the past? Yeah, possibly. And the extended and the extended uh, year of eligibility too. I mean, it's going to really throw everything into into some flux with, with some recruiting classes, and just to see how that all shakes out. No. Yeah, I, that's another I think thing to, that, to add to it. Yep, I, I think that it's going to be a. Uh, the, the main thing is a lot of these kids just have to be patient and, and let, uh, and let the, the schools come to them, and they will. Yeah. They will. It's, it's just going to take some time to shape a lot of stuff out. And, you know, we're seeing a lot of movement in coaching staffs in, at the college level right now. Right. And, and some of that will change the way uh, certain things are handled because you'll see kids, you know, certain kids may flip, certain kids may – uh, if their coach goes, decide they want to go somewhere else, and that opens up a spot. Yeah, I think it's going to be really, really interesting in the next between now and February to see how some of these kids wind up. For sure, and yeah, it's it's going to be different than, than most years. So <laughs> just we'll be curious to see how February turns out with a lot of kids in this area that haven't signed at this point where some of them wind up going and and if we get some more surprises along the way let's let's take another break and then we'll come back and talk a little bit more about what's to come including some coaching changes new classifications for next year and then we'll put a wrap on this season for us so yes this is the 615 preps podcast stay with us welcome back to the 615 preps podcast season wrap-up edition uh let's Let's kind of change gears for this segment and, and talk about uh, things to come. There, some coaching changes have already been made at several schools. The most notable of them is at Ravenwood, where Will Hester is coming back after a stint at Florence, Alabama, where he was there for three years. He's coming back home. Yeah, uh, he won the uh, 6A state championship back in uh, 2013. He's coming, like you said, he is coming back to Williamson County. Yeah. Um, yeah, he but he he was a Brentwood grad, right? 
He's a Brentwood grad. He actually helped start the Nolansville program, stayed there for two years before going to Florence, Alabama. And, you know, yeah, I mean, he's coming back to a familiar place. Uh, Matt Daniels stepping down to spend more time with his family, and he actually put out a statement on Twitter about, in more detail about why. It's actually, it's unfortunate that, that what they've gone through to be able to start oh. a family, but you, you can understand why now I think he would want to spend some more time with his family. Yeah, it, it, if you read that statement, it, it answers a lot of questions and probably puts to rest a lot of, a lot of rumors that uh, didn't necessarily need to be out there. Yep. It's unfortunate that he had to put that statement out there and and kind of air uh, air you know his family history. But it's understandable why, especially when you read that. And you know nothing but love and 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 hope and you know for him and his family and and you know he's done a tremendous job at Ravenwood and he's earned the chance to 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 you know step back and spend time with his daughter. For sure, for sure. Uh, Ravenwood not the only coaching position that has now swapped. Portland High School has tabbed assistant Wes Inman to step up after Rick Cavanaugh was like after seven seasons. So the Panthers have a new head coach going into their move to 5A next year. It's been kind of, it's been kind of rough for Portland in the last decade or so, even, even going back as far as 10, 15 years. But uh, they're going to try to to get things going in the right direction with Wes Inman. Well, he's and he's got his work cut out for him, but uh, you know it, it's gonna it's gonna be tough. But uh, I'm sure that he's up to the challenge. It'll be interesting to see uh, you know what Portland football looks like going forward. Yep. And Matt Dyer takes over at Smith County, and the former Trousdale County assistant takes over for Scott Murray, who was let go. And you know Matt Dyer, the Dyer name in Carthage actually as as a mystery because Matt. Matt Dyer's father, Pat Dyer, was the head coach for Smith County from 1990 to 1994. So there's definitely some family history with the Owls with, with Matt Dyer taking over. And they're getting a good young coach in Matt Dyer. He's going, uh, he's going, to, he's going to play some smash-mouth ball there. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that, that's kind of his – that's kind of his game. He was uh, he, he played it. He played at Smith County. He was a, a hard nosed linebacker. Actually, about the time I was there, I remember actually seeing him play. So, it, yep. he'll he'll mold the team in what he was as a player. You could see, you could expect that Smash Mouth game to to be there in Carthage. A couple of other I, positions that that don't have coaches at the moment. Uh, Middle Tennessee Christian, you know, they were actually on an interim coach. B.J. Robertson was there on an interim basis this year. They're now looking for a full-time head coach, and Mount Pleasant has an opening there. Bronson Bradley was let go and this offseason mm. as well, so a couple of openings there for some local teams. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see uh, how those get filled, and and you know, especially with you know changes and everything else coming up, how you know how that's affected. Yeah, speaking of changes, classification changes and and region changes for. 2021 and 2022, the next two-year cycle, which uh, and looking over some of these, I'm glad it's only two years because there are some questions that I have about some of these alignments. And yeah, <laughs> me too. <laughs> well, and the one that sticks like a sore thumb is in is in 4A in Region Five, mm-hmm. which has nine teams in it. it yes. 
teams from Montgomery Central near the Kentucky line down to Lawrence County and Marshall County close to the Alabama line. Yeah, that and, – and all points in between. Yeah. Uh, it is it is an insane region. Uh, you look at it and you realize that Pearl Cone is in there with uh, Creekwood and Tullahoma and Marshall. I mean, yeah. like you said, it runs almost the entire, you know, width of the state. Yeah, it, it, this is the region that makes no sense because – it's like they took the nine teams that were centrally located, you know, as far as east-west was concerned, and just threw them in a pot because it's like they didn't want to send anybody east or west. But now you've got this big region where you're going to have to take a three-hour bus ride for a region game. Yeah, and and the region right above it, uh, which uh, region four uh, – was all I think they did was add Upperman. You could have taken one of those teams and 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 put in there and and cut that region five down. Yeah, or, or possibly take them or one goes to region six and yeah, yeah, I don't know. It, it, it's some of the it, that's, that's kind that, of that's kind of the geographic problem with this state is yeah. you have an east west dynamic and a lot of your smaller schools are in either the east or the west part of the state. They're not in the middle Tennessee area. And so now your medium-sized schools, there's a bunch of them. Yeah, it's, yeah, it, it, there's a glut. Yeah, you're absolutely right. And we look, Yeah, that, that, that 4A, of course, Elizabethan's, you know, always going to be the class of, of 4A, uh, but it's going to be real interesting. No, I mean, 4A, because Pearl Cone's coming up from 3A, Hillwood yeah. is dropping down. Glen, Glencliff is dropping down from 5A. You know, the, there, there's additions to the that class from from both sides. And and it's a good thing this is only for two years because all these teams only have to make one road trip to each of these each of these schools in two years. Yeah. So it, it kind of mitigates a little bit of the damage done. If this had been a four year cycle, I think more people would have been howling about it. Right now, now as far as and, and just looking at this, in, as far as uh, our area, just our coverage area. Right. So in class in in class one A, region four is us, and really it's Gordonsville, Joe Burns, and Red Bull and Springs. Uh, not a whole lot changed in that region. No. Uh, region five really uh, Eagleville. And Eagleville dropped down from two A to one A. And and I think they're about the only one that is in our coverage That's area. That's the there. only one, yeah. Yeah, Class Two A, uh, Region Four, East Robertson is now in with the uh, well is there with Trails of the County. only Water the only change. There's a couple of changes there. Harpeth is dropping from three A to two A, and White's Creek goes from three A to two A as well, and and goes into Region Four. Um, mm-hmm. No, Jackson County moved up to three A. Right. Which I I didn't I don't know why I don't think that they were really and they were they could have played in two A but they decided to play up for some reason. Sure. And uh, you see, I'll see in region also in region two, uh, in region five we cover Mount Pleasant. Mount Pleasant, now, Mount Pleasant, which went up from one A to two A, and basically yep. they swapped with Eagleville. Right. Exactly. 
Now, in 3A, we have uh, really three regions that, that are in our coverage area. And Region 4 is um, primarily it's just Cannon County. It's just Cannon County yeah. there. Yeah. But Region 5 looks really kind of weird to me. Yeah. East Nashville, J- Jackson County, Maplewood, Smith County, and Stratford. Right. Yeah, you, so you're going all the way from Gainesboro to East Nashville. Yeah. Yeah. That is a long road trip. Yeah, it, it, that didn't make sense to put. I mean, you took basically Cannon County away from Smith County and put them in different regions, even though they're closer to each other than than City Smith County is to, to Metro Nashville. Right. It's going to be an interesting region. That should be East Nashville's, uh, uh, just looking at it, you know, East Nashville should do well in that region. I would, I would think so. I would think so. Region 6, you've got Cheatham County, Fairview, Stewart County, Sycamore, you know, Waverly, and then you add White House and White House Heritage to those teams. This looks like one of those regions that is almost fairly balanced and, and to me. Yeah, and the White House schools are both coming down from 4A to 3A this year. And then you have Fairview, who's uh, been pretty good, and then Stewart County, who actually won their region. Who beat Fairview for that title in the last week of the yeah. season, yeah. I mean, you know, Cheatham County is still going to have difficulty. But uh, yeah. Waverly being in there was kind of interesting to me. Yeah. Um, but it, this one could be a very competitive region, at least in the top four spots. Right. Um, we talked about, you know, 4A really quick. Yeah. Uh, Upperman's added to region four. With the, uh, the so Cab County, Macon County are our area teams in that region. Upperman, Upperman makes that region better mm-hmm. for sure. Certainly. So, uh, and, and Cumberland County's still struggling. They're probably still going to be in the basement. But now you're going to see, you know, Stone Memorial and another one of those teams that might be fighting for a playoff spot with Upperman's addition because Upperman's been a playoff team for several years. Yeah, I think that I think you're exactly right. I think Upperman makes that region better. Yeah, Region Five, the region makes no sense. We've already covered (laughs) it. That's that's the question mark. That's the uh, brain damage region. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, Class Five A. Region, uh, region. We start region five, right? Region, region um, five, which has Hillsboro, Hunters Lane, Mount Juliet, Station Camp, Wilson Central, Green Hill, and, and then is that freaking Sparta, and then White County. What is Sparta doing in there? Yeah, th- this is the other brain dead moment that I think the states had. What in the world are you going to be doing driving from Hunters Lane way over at Rivergate? To Sparta. Yeah. Especially when you have Region 4 with, with teams in Chattanooga, Athens, and Cleveland that are much that are closer to White County than any of those metro schools are. Exactly. It's made I, I, no sense whatsoever. No, none whatsoever for White County to be in that group at all. No. It is, uh, again, thankfully it's only two years. Yeah, I, th- I think that this is one of those ones that they'll have to rectify after two years. I mean, Wh- White County, have, the last few years have been playing as an independent. They weren't in a region, so it's like, you know, they haven't had a region to play in for, for the last four years. But, you know, <laughs> geographically, it just you, you would think that there is a place for them that would be make well, more sense than, than this. 
Well, Chris, you just said it. Region 4 is, is made for it. You know, Howard Walker Valley, Reed County, I mean, those are much closer. Right, and there's only five teams in that region. I mean, you balance yeah. it out better if you put White County in there and make it a 16 group. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I mean, truthfully, it'd be it might even be better if it it, it went even to Region Three, you know, with Oak Ridge. Yeah, <laughs> I don't know. Yeah. I, I, yeah, it makes no sense. But then you look at Region Six. Yeah, and this looks like a very, very. Uh, uh, it could be. This com- looks like it's a very competitive region. Here. Very competitive yeah, region very, here. I think this is going to be a really interesting region with uh, Nolansville. Nolensville comes uh, up from 4A to 5A. With Summit departing to 6A, Nolensville basically takes their place. And then you have, and you bring in Franklin County, Lincoln County, Columbia Central, Spring Hill, and Page. And, and to tell you the truth, you know, this this may be just set up for Page. Nolensville uh, losing uh, uh, Ryder Gillardi to uh, Long Island University. Yep. Uh, you know, may not knowing what they have behind him. Of course, uh, I think Samson Johnson's still there, so they still got a good strong running back. But Page, uh, they look uh, and and Columbia for that matter. Yeah. Uh, you know, very very competitive. I think this region is going to be actually be a fun region to to cover some games in. Very well could be. Region seven <laughs> is the Henry County, the Henry County Invitational again. Yeah, it appears. Except, except uh, this time, Springfield. Right. Springfield yeah, so. makes the leap from 4A to 5A. They'll join Henry County, along with Kenwood, Northeast, Northwest, and Portland. So, and this is this is where Wes Inman's going to have uh, some difficulty because yeah, that, that's a, that's a tough region to have to to begin as a head coach. In yeah, your and and you're talking about. Uh, Springfield, that's not that I understand because Clarksville and Springfield, yeah, it's a little bit of a, it's a drive, but it's still not. It makes more, it makes sense. Uh, Portland, it makes sense. Um, so, so I can see that in, in that region. Uh, well, it's gonna be- I, I, I can see it a little bit, but consider Portland also is closer to Station Camp, which is in Region Five. Yeah. And, 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 and I see your point there. I, I, I can, I can see this, but I can see this a little bit better than I can see some of the other ones we've talked. Yeah, about. It, it's not as much of a brain dead move as as White County in Region uh, Five. Considering, yeah, considering it's on the Kentucky line. Yeah, uh, there, it, it's, uh, it's a, it's a, a shot west. Really, is what it is. Yeah. Um, but six A really is is kind of interesting and looking at region three i have a question here. <laughs> i think we both do what in the heck did lebanon do to the rest of wilson county to get exiled i don't know i mean well the, re- the, re- the rest of west wilson county is going into 5a i mean yeah. green hill mount juliet wilson central they're going to 5a lebanon's the largest school there they're in 6a and they're in with coffee county cookville shelbyville and warren county yeah, I, I, yeah it, it, this is kind of weird, just kind of, it's kind of all over the place. Well, I, I will say this, they're probably better off there because if oh. you go to Region 4, you've got Blackman, oh. Oakland, Riverdale, Stewart's Creek, Siegel, and Rockville. Well, let me let me just say that I think the real winner in Region 3 is Cookville. 
Oh yeah, definitely. Getting out of, getting out of the region with Oakland and Blackman and Riverdale. Definitely. So you know, I think Cookville really comes out ahead in that one. But yeah, it was just it was just kind of weird. Lebanon just it, it, this is a really large region to have five teams in it. Yeah. So you look at Region Five, and this one is the fun region, it, but it's kind of weird too. Right. Beach, Clarksville, Gallatin, Hendersonville, Rossview, and Westcreek. Three Clarksville schools, three Sumner County schools. Yeah, Beach, Gallatin, and Hendersonville reuniting. They they were all once in in a region with some other Sumner County teams and Wilson County teams, but now they're they're back together again. And then you know Clarksville, Rossview, Westcreek. They pretty much are peas in a pot. They're all going to the same place. So, I, I think once again you're looking at uh, Beach and Hendersonville beating up on each other. Could, uh, could very well be, and that, that now being a region game, who will? Oh boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's going to be really interesting. But also, too, that region kind of aligns more with like some of the other sports. Like those those teams generally hook up in in like basketball, baseball, and whatnot. They generally play. In, in the same region. So that's that's not they're not unusual opponents per mm-hmm. se, but from a football standpoint, it's it's definitely new. Well, region region six makes a lot of sense for the most part. I think they got region six right. I mean, maybe yeah. maybe you've put Smyrna back with Blackman, Oakland, Riverdale or, or and all those schools, but then again, you've got Antioch, Cambridge, Dixon County, Overton, Laverne, and McGavick. Dixon County is the winner here in this region because they get away from Brentwood and Independence and Ravenwood and, and in the region that they really didn't belong in to a Agreed. region or to a region where they can be competitive again. Yeah, I, I, I 100% agree. I think Dixon County actually comes out ahead here. Uh, I think Cane Ridge uh, looks good here, although that Cane Ridge Smyrna uh, game every year is going to be a battle. Yeah. For sure. I, that's probably my I mean you're you're looking at if you're looking ahead, that's probably the top two teams right there. And then yep. every, everybody else is a free, I mean Laverne probably next and then it's a free for all for you know those other spots. Right. So I mean it and could it, be it could be interesting in that region for the couple of years that they'll be together. And, and we talked about Region Seven. Yeah. It being, could be Summit, Summit's region. That region makes a lot of sense. That is the that to me is the highlight region of this whole deal because you put those teams together, and you know every game is a must see game just about in that region. Yeah, the interesting thing is that when it goes to the playoffs, they'll be they'll be uh, either uh, either Memphis is coming their way or they're going Memphis's. Right. Yeah. So that's going to be the interesting thing there. Yep, the yeah, the travel there will be will not be fun for a couple of years. Right, right, especially if you're facing you know, Arlington or Bartlett, mm-hmm. uh, Whitehaven. Yeah, uh, Division Two, real quick. Uh, yeah. East region. Class A changes a little bit. It goes to three regions now. It was two, but now they've added the middle region, which actually gets a lot of the area teams involved in it. Yeah, because uh, East Region, the only one. In our area, it, well, there are two, Friendship and MT, uh, Middle Tennessee. Yep. Uh, so, you know, those two would be the ones we keep look at in the east. But the middle region, wow. I mean, that is that is a lot of, the, you know, that Clarksville Academy to Columbia Academy. It's, yeah. uh, and, and points in between. Uh, 
you know, th- there are a lot going to be a lot of good games in that region, a lot of fight in that region. Nashville Christian and DCA, uh, you know, right now I would say would be, you know, your favorites, but uh, it wouldn't take much for Clark, uh, for uh, Grace Christian, who's been making a, a run lately, to to continue to improve. Yeah, and kind of they kind of win on travel there because those teams no longer have to deal with going west as that entire west region is Jackson and further out. Mm-hmm. So they don't have to worry about travel during the regular season as far as region games are concerned like they did before. Right. Uh, double, right. double A only you – know, <laughs> I mean, it really doesn't, doesn't change a ton with the exception of Davidson Academy moving up to the middle region in double A. Right. To join Lipscomb Academy, CPA, BGA, FRA, and Good Pasture. You know. That's just, that middle region's just fun. That, yeah. that 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 middle region, you know, just to see them beat up on each other, that, that's just fun. Yep, it is. Triple A stays in its east west format, six teams on each side. They swap a couple of teams out. Ensworth and Brentwood Academy are going west for the next two years, while NBA and Pope John Paul II are going east. And Father Ryan. Father Ryan stays east for this cycle right. as well. So, you know, that, those were the only changes. They just kind of swap sides. Yeah, and that makes and that makes sense. I mean, it, as much as anything makes sense uh, with these uh, Division Two teams. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so, but yeah, there are a lot of you know. That's I had those questions for you because we hadn't had a chance to really talk too much about the the new regions and. Uh, there was a lot of head scratchers for me. There are there's some head there's some head scratchers, and then I'm sure there will be more questions. You know, as the months go on, the off season about how this is going to work and how things will play out. But uh, you know, there's some definite there's some excitement around some of those regions, and then we'll uh, we'll be ready to see how those play out in 2021 and 2022, and then afterwards the talk will probably be leaning toward. Will they cut back to five classes in Division One? Because that discussion right. was going to be had prior to, you know, the pandemic. Right, shaking and, things up. And yeah, exactly. It, it's just not a conversation you can have right now, uh, while, like you said, while the pandemic's going on. Uh, you're better off just getting things sorted out for the next two years, and then you know when you know when all this pandemic is is over, then you can go back and address. And then in that amount of time, there are also going to be some new schools. Uh, there's going to be some, you know, a lot of changes in, I'm certain there'll be a lot of changes in enrollment. Yeah. So, you know, you're better off just like you said, you know, setting it for two years and then, you know, planning for the future. Yeah. Well, that's, that's a look at, uh, the future, as we talked about, uh, with some new coaches and some new classifications and kind of a look ahead toward 2021. Let's take one more break, and then we'll come back with some final thoughts on 2020. So this is the 615 Preps Podcast. Stay with us. Back here in the 615 Preps Podcast, season wrap-up edition. Before we go any farther, I want to thank all the sponsors who have helped us out throughout this season. As, as weird as it might have been, there were people that stepped up and uh, – Helped us bring our coverage to you. I want to thank 97 Sports Promotions. They actually put together the helmets that you see on our Player of the Week awards who were sponsored by Citizens Bank. 
And we also had sponsors like Friday Night, Friday Night Lines, Charlotte Smith with EXP Realty, Karen Kingsbury, and NCP Coatings for helping sponsor our playoff coverage this year. And I want to thank all of those sponsors for their generous time and their donations to, to make 615 Preps coverage possible. And we are looking for sponsors for the 2021 season. So hit us up at 615preps at gmail.com or find us on social media, 615preps on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, if you might be interested in next season. We would love to have as many sponsors as possible to help bring more of Middle Tennessee High School football to you. With that, we come to kind of some final thoughts for the 2020 season. As weird and as wild as it was, it's at the finish line. Yeah, it's, it's amazing uh, when you look back at it, the uncertainty that was around the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, you think of programs in Memphis who didn't get a chance to play. Yeah. You think of uh, the Metro schools that had to petition and to, to, to have at least part of a season so those kids could get seen and, and, and have a senior year and, or, you know, have a year period. Uh, and, and you realize just how fortunate, blessed, whatever you want to say, we were to be able to finish uh, with such great games at the Blue Cross Bowl. And the Clarksville schools that had to start late because they yep. were in the same boat, but they got on the mm-hmm. field in a, within a couple of weeks. And yeah. then through all the schedule changes and, and you know, cancellations and, and finding new opponents within two or three days, I mean, we had one game that was set on, on basically 10 hours' notice. Now, yeah. That's one and, thing I'm going to take away from this year is the ability of these coaches to be more flexible than they otherwise thought they could be considering oh, oh, you know, what all goes into a game plan. And, and you really you really got to see what kind of fraternity there is in Middle Tennessee. When you have coaches like Trent Delfer stepping up for Metro schools uh, to, you know, to, you know, uh, promote them on, you know, trying to get their season going. When you see, you know, coaches working together to, to formulate some kind of schedule, like you said, where you have literally hours, uh, you know, to organize a game. It's it's amazing how well these coaches work together, and how much they put in for their kids, for their programs, uh, to make sure that their kids are getting developed and seen and and everything. It's you know, and and you know, we'd be remiss not to you know, feel the sadness for those that, you know, we lost uh, to uh, this, you know, horrible disease. Um, but, you know, there there's a silver lining as well to it that we got to see. Yeah, 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 I totally agree. And, you know, the players certainly deserve as much credit as anybody for helping make this possible. I mean – they were the ones sitting there in June and July having to listen to the meetings on whether this could even happen or not. They were the ones that they spread the message, just let us play. You know, we'll do what we have to do. And they did. And you know you, 
you are absolutely right. They bore all the responsibility of of social distancing, of wearing their masks, of of you know following direction in the weight rooms and in the classrooms and and at home and you know watching their nutrition, watching you know and and making sure that they did everything healthy that ensured that they played. And that was one of the things about this whole deal. You know, so many people wanted to politicize it. And to me, that's an incredible insult to those players who simply just wanted to play. The ones who wanted to find a way on the field were willing to do whatever it took to get on the field and just play. And for people to politicize something as as wild as this pandemic was is just insulting to a lot of people. And, and I'm glad that these kids got to play and could able to block that noise out and just get on the field because ultimately – that's what it was all about, was being able to get them games in an otherwise impossible situation. And there are a lot of people to thank for that. I mean, the TWSAA, we, I mean, you have to give them credit for, you know, standing up for the kids and, and finding a way to get their games in, in a way which, you know, when this started in March, we weren't sure what was going to happen. Yeah, and and to that point, the administrations who, who set up uh, – you know, COVID checks, temperature checks, who went out and marked the bleachers to where people could sit and, and you know, did their part to try to enforce uh, social distancing in an almost impossible circumstance uh, when you just, you know, you, you can't, it's hard as heck to manage uh, kids. It's even harder to manage adults in some respects. Agreed. <laughs> and, you know, to... Uh, like you said, and you know, you had those that would politicize it or marginalize it or whatever. Those, you know, those teachers, administrators, volunteers, uh, all those people who did everything they could to ensure that the kids could play. They're, you know, they're the real heroes. The the the, the nurse, school nurses who monitored things, and the you know the T, you said the TWSAA, the coaches. It truly took a team effort across, you know, the entire spectrum. I mean, just just to bring these just to bring these games to, I, you know, it was weird covering a game in a stadium with no people. Yeah, but but in all honesty, it was it was sometimes a relief because you knew that it was just the kids. Yeah, yeah, and then they got. They got past that rather quickly. I mean, yeah, yeah. The atmosphere is different. the The ambiance is different. There's no bands. I mean, some, there's cheerleaders are not there, and at some places, I mean, it was different. Just taking in the experience of a game like we were not used to. But yeah. in the end, it's still football. Mm-hmm. And. At its very core, it was still good football. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So, I think that I, I think that going forward, there's a lot of lessons that that we learned about uh, about the resiliency of of high school kids and about the re- re- resiliency and the meaning of high school sports. Um. You know, it, it, it really was 
heartwarming. And and you know, in some respects, and I'm not including us in this, but but you know, the media outlets that covered the games, you know, that managed the social distancing and doing the things the right way. Yep. Uh, I thought that they, you know, they played their part as well. Yeah. And, you know, I, I just think that in the end, it was a successful season in the midst of just incredibly adverse circumstances. I think a lot of people came together in 2020 like I think we've never seen because it was more of a of concerted effort to just get everything in and not have major issues. Yeah, there were some games that were canceled. Some teams had to quarantine for several weeks. We unfortunately had a couple that had to be knocked out of the playoffs because of it. Mm. But in the latter weeks of the year, when people started figuring out what needed to be done, I mean, you look at someone like Kevin Creasy, didn't even sleep at his own house for a month to ensure that his kids could play. Yeah. You know, and- stories like that were coming out because, you know, this was a sacrifice that a lot of people made to make this happen. And it shows and, just and, how far they're willing to go for these kids, and it's awesome. Yeah, it is. And as somebody who was, you know, and, and thank you know, as someone who is adversely affected uh, by it, who, uh, you know, this this pandemic is, you know, is no joke. So the people that you know, I have nothing but admiration for the people that did things the right way. Mm-hmm. To make sure that these kids could play, yeah, you know, and and I have nothing but appreciation for you know, you know, all those people that made the the season possible. Um, so, you know, again, you know, just everybody, you know, needs to you know sit back and maybe just kind of reflect a little bit on how well they did, how well they communicated, how well they worked together and how well we do when we do that, when we work together for a common goal. And in some places how it can be improved because nobody was perfect. I mean, there were, there were games where there were still larger crowds than you thought would have been allowed. (laughs) Certainly. I mean, we're not going to name names here, but I mean, those, those people know who they are, but well, at this point, it's you know it's over and done with. It it dimin- it diminishes the people that did it the right way. It does, but you know, at the same but time, it, at the same time, we were able to get through it, and that, that's the biggest takeaway from all of this is that in May and June, we weren't even sure we'd get on the field, but they found a way. Yep, they certainly did. When the season kicked off, some people said it might be two or three weeks, but they found a way. Then the playoffs rolled around, and a lot of people were talking like, this is going to be really bad. This is going to be an absolute train wreck. But they found a way. And at the end, we had nine state champions with gold balls. We had Mr. Football finalists and winners handed out, just like every year before. So even if 2020 was the goofiest, the most messed up of years, it's still football, and we're happy to bring it to you. Now, this is our season finale show for as far as the podcast is concerned, but we're not going away. We're going to have content coming during the off season. We'll have some special features coming up from time to time. Obviously, we're still on social media. So, 
You follow us on Twitter at 615preps. You can follow me at cbrookstn, Scott at sburton615, also on Facebook and Instagram as well. So just keep your eye out for a lot of things coming down the pike in, in the offseason. And when 2021 rolls around, when that season finally gets started next August, we'll be here. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's been a heck of a run, and we're done for 2020. Boy, it can't come soon enough. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say, 2021, you're come on, up. Come on down. <laughs> you're the next contestant on The Price is Right. <laughs> Absolutely. But for those of you who have listened to us during the year, thank you. We appreciate each and every one of you, and we hope you have a safe and happy holidays and a great new year, and we will see you in 2021. And until then... For Scott Burton, I'm Chris Brooks, and this is the 615 Preps Podcast. Thank you so much for joining us. Happy holidays. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. Happy all of it. And thank you for staying around with us. Take care. Thank you so very much. Take care. The 615 Preps Podcast is a production of B-Squared Media, LLC. Our theme music is A Closet Full of Bones by Mama Tried and is used with their permission. You can download their music on the 615preps.com website or on SoundCloud. Your hosts for the 615 Preps podcast are Chris Brooks and Scott Burton. You can follow Chris on Twitter at cbrookstn and Scott at sburton615.